There's good news for those that have missed the mark. God can forgive us. We've all failed, whether it was as a child or as an adult. We failed. We failed. The Lord tells us we fail. See, if you're here today and you come and you say, well, I'm good, Ed, and I wouldn't argue with you, but I would add that you're not good enough to merit salvation from God. It requires a perfect righteousness that only Jesus Christ has provided. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus Christ has died for your sins. And he didn't stay in there. He has risen again. He's alive. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's only after human effort has done its very best and failed, said Corey Ten Boom, that God's power is free to work. A comfort to some and a challenge to others. But in both cases, it raises the issue of sanctification. And it also raises the question, how then is it accomplished? Well, we'll get some encouraging answers today on Abounding Grace. We'll find those answers in Romans chapter 7, where we'll discover not only the limits of human ability, but also the limits of the law of God. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. If we took a flag or a banner and we waved it over the book of Romans, it would have to be the banner or the flag of freedom. Remember, Romans is the gospel of grace. It's a gospel of freedom. It's a gospel, it's a letter that Paul has written to the Romans then and to Christians today that's intended to show us the freedom that's already ours in Jesus Christ. And the first six chapters have been that, that's been the focus. Freedom from the problem of sin, because we've learned that all of us are touched by the problem of sin. We've all been born into sin. We're all a part of Adam's family, and there is the problem of sin, but in Jesus Christ, there's freedom from that problem of sin. There's also freedom from the penalty of sin. Because if we're all touched and tainted by sin, then the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so then there becomes that freedom that we live in, that we have been delivered not only from the problem of sin, but also from the penalty of sin. And then chapter six, we focused in depth on chapter six in the last few weeks. If you weren't here, it's important to get these studies. These are studies you need to have and hold on to and bring out when tough times come, because we learned in chapter six that we have been free from the power of sin the power of sin in our lives because Jesus Christ has paid the price of sin in full. And by faith in him, all of this freedom is yours and mine. I mean, chapter six really was where the rubber meets the road for us as Christians. I mean, it's the practical part of how we live a life for Jesus Christ as the power of sin has been dealt with in our own life. We learned that we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old man was crucified with Jesus. The old Ed, dead, by faith in Jesus Christ. Not only did, is there a new person by faith in Jesus Christ in your life, but also we realize that we know that and then we reckon that to be so. When tough times come and we may not feel like it, we may not think it's true, then the next step is to reckon it to be so. To consider it to be a done deal is what that word means and then act on it. The steps of freedom, it's very practical. We are now free in Jesus Christ to live freely to live fruitfully, to 
to see faithfulness. And yet there's this underlying relentless pressure from the law. The law is holy. Look at chapter 7, verse 12. The law is good, and it's holy, and it's just. And the law stands there to condemn man. The law is holy, it's just, and it's good, and it condemns us, and it judges us every time we sin. You see, the law says live up to this standard, but we've learned that we can't live up to that standard. And so when we don't live up to that standard, then we find ourselves under condemnation and judgment from the law. And if it's not a full-blown relationship with the law, then it's the twisted cousin of legalism that so often creeps up in the lives of Christians today. Yes, you're free. You're free. That's what Romans says. You're free from the problem of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin. So then why do so many Christians live bound up? Might I suggest to you it's a reversion back to a legal way of relating to God? Lists of rules and regulations, policies and procedures. I mean, tell me what I need to know, Ed. Tell me what I need to do. And the list never seemed to measure up. And even though the law is holy, just, and good, it doesn't sin. But we commit sin, and the law stands there to condemn. What's the solution then? Well, the solution is Jesus Christ. He frees us. He gives us great freedom. We learn in chapter 6, flip back to verse 14 for a second of Romans chapter 6, we learn that we've been freed from the law. He says it matter-of-factly in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah to that. That's the truth. You're not under law, but you're under grace. That's you right now. Listen, listen again. You are not under law, but under grace. That should totally go like, yeah. I mean, that is wonderful. And in case we missed it, verse 15, what, shall, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Twice he repeats it for us. So how did you get out from under the law? I mean, how did that happen? You, you and I, we just can't decide one day, well, I'm gonna be out of, from under the law. We're gonna do away with the law. Uh, we don't have any need for the law anymore. We, we can't come to that place where we just simply decide well, I guess I'm going to make up my own mind and I'm going to remove myself from the law. Not possible. We can't just say, well, it's done away with because it's not. The law still exists and the law continues to do its job even today. Hold your places. Flip over to Galatians chapter three. We will get to Romans, but let's look at a few things before we get there. Galatians chapter three. The law was not done away with. The law still exists today. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so the law still exists, and it still exists to do what it was intended to do. Look at Galatians with me, would you? Chapter 3, verse 24. Yes, the law is good and holy and just. And we'll look at that in a whole study in and of itself in the coming weeks. So what is it good for, and how is it precious and wonderful? Look at verse 24, chapter 3 of Galatians and if I was in Galatians, I'd see it with you, but I'm in Ephesians, so let me get over there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Circle that word tutor. Next to it, write schoolmaster. The law is a teacher. It's a tutor. It has a purpose. It teaches every man, every woman, every child. Well, notice, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. For every attempt to be right with God by changing behavior, the law says it doesn't work that way. 
You can't just change your behavior. You can't just be, try to be a good person. It never measures up. No, the law says you need to come to Jesus Christ. There's a righteousness that you need and a righteousness that God has provided. You need to come to him, it says verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under that tutor, that schoolmaster, the law. We're no longer under the law. And even though we can't ever, never, ever be justified by the law, our faith, back in Romans, look at Romans chapter 3. Our faith actually justifies the law. See, you can't just say, well, I don't want to be under the law. I'm going to do away with it. I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. No, it still exists. The law does. Truly, our faith, Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, establishes the law. Notice, do then we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And we spent a whole Sunday just looking at that. I encourage you to pick up the study just on this one verse. By faith, we establish the law and we establish the law for the purpose for which it was given, for the purpose which it was created. It's a standard of God to point out sin in our lives. It's God's standard. That's all that law could ever do. You realize that? It's never saved a soul, ever. The law has never saved one person. All it could do is say this, do this and live. And you know what our response is? I can't do that. So what am I supposed to do then? The law says, do this and live. I can't do that. And so the law points us to Jesus Christ. The law, it condemns sin. It's holy, righteous, and good. The real Christian, living a real life, you realize this, right? Still has struggles. You're a real Christian today. You want to live after Jesus Christ. You want to do what's right. You desire to live after God. You desire to walk in the Spirit. You realize that you still have struggles. As a matter of fact, some of the struggles that you face right now are far greater than what you felt when you were not a believer. When you became a believer, you declared, I declared, I said, I said, you know what? I love you so much, God, that I am going to come against everything that I've ever known. The forces of darkness, Satan and all his demons. Condemnation only makes that struggle worse. Any of you that have lived under condemnation, whether it's the condemnation of some outward standard or your own self-condemnation over your failures, you realize it makes the struggle worse. Uh, it's my prayer that for you here, whether you got saved here or saved somewhere else, that someone didn't tell you that things are all gonna be fine now. Everything's gonna be great. You're a Christian now. Man, it's easy street all the way. No problems. You're never, all of your problems went to some other poor sap heathen. That's what happened with you. Not true. No, the battle becomes intense. Some have called this, and I think rightly, spiritual warfare. Warfare. A battle for the mind, a battle for your life, a battle for your home and righteousness. Because we struggle, realize this, sometimes we lose perspective. Do you realize you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world and still be wrong because you have the wrong perspective? You see things the wrong way. It comes like this. Well, here's counsel. Here's what the word of God says. And your first response is, I know. But you know what? Your life says you don't know. Your life says you really don't understand. Your life says you're really not living by God's word. Your life says, hey, hey, listen, you really don't know because perhaps the struggle that you're in caused you to lose perspective where you're not seeing things clearly anymore. And God has sent word after word, maybe words you memorized as a child, 
memorizing Bible scriptures in Sunday school, or he sent man after man into your life to tell you the truth, woman after woman, put a new person in your office, put a new person in your life, opened up, you were just wanted to surf the, the, the TV, had their remote in hand, and, and you flipped it on, and, and actually one of those channels has some serious Bible teaching on there, it was speaking right to your heart, and you can't get away from it. And you can't answer, I know, because it's one thing to know, it's a whole other thing to reckon and act on what you know. And we can see your life. You can see my life, the fruit of my life. My life reflects what I really believe, what I really hold on to. And because we struggle, we sometimes lose perspective. Here, it starts so great. We saw this in the first service, and I pray we see this here today, that people get saved. It is a joyous, wonderful thing to see people get saved. Just to see lives change, to recognize. It starts with a very ugly beginning, you know. Maybe you're here today, and you wouldn't say to me that I have a relationship with God, but instead you'd say I'm distant from God. For you, it's gonna start very ugly because you're gonna come face to face with your sin. And sin is never pretty. No matter how you dress it up, sin is still sin. Sin will still destroy you. Sin will still pull you down. It doesn't matter what it looks like or how attractive it is, sin will always hurt you. The wages of sin are always death. Death to something. Death sometimes to someone. And you come to that realization that sin is really ugly and then the next realization is that I'm a sinner. And that's really hard to say for some of you. Because the natural response is, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And indeed, many of you probably are very good, doing very good things. How could I argue with the fact that you give so much to charity? How could I argue with the fact that you do good for your neighbors? You bake, you help, you serve. That's great. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, did you realize that no one is good enough? No one measures up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? The law. The law says, do this and live. And we say, we can't. You see, the law is good. It's a great tool in the hands of God to show you and me that we need Jesus, that we need him. We need the right perspective. We come to that place then, oh, oh, I I guess I am good. And then you start walking through. I mean, you can just jot it down. We don't need to turn there. Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments. You can start with just 10 simple things and you can start walking through them with someone that says, well, I'm good, I'm good. Really, are you that good? You're really good. Have you, have you ever lied to anyone? Oh, no, no, I've never lied. No, I've never lied. Are you sure you're not lying to me right, like right now? I mean, come on. You never lied to anyone. You, you, you have never stolen anything. And before you get through them, any person that's good taking in a, a righteous examination of their life, looking in the mirror of the law, is going to come to the conclusion, you know what, I failed. We've all failed, whether it was as a child or as an adult. We failed. We failed. The law tells us we fail. See, if you're here today and you come and you say, well, I'm good, Ed, and I wouldn't argue with you, but I would add that you're not good enough to merit salvation from God. It requires a perfect righteousness that only Jesus Christ has provided. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus Christ has died for your sins. And he didn't stay in there. He has risen again. He's alive. And he's drawing you into a relationship with him that in just a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to the good news. So how is sin all good news? Because your sins can be forgiven. That's good news. And that's how it starts. And I hope as you pray and as you come up and as you are saying, yes, change my life, I hope the prayer folks here are down here telling you it's only going to get rougher. You're going to face a tough life. The life of Jesus Christ, means a life by faith means you're gonna go against the grain. It means God's gonna call you away from the world. It means that there are habits in your life that aren't and need to be broken. 
It's not going to get easier. It's going to get tougher, especially in light of the days in which we live, which I believe the Bible calls the last days, right before the return of the Lord. Exciting days. And as you look at what God is doing in your life, realize this. Struggles sometimes cause us to lose perspective. And we don't see things clearly. And sometimes we falsely conclude that the situation in front of us is far worse than it really is. And we walk away from the simplicity of our faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to see this in your own Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Would you turn there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's a little to the right of Romans. And I know, you know, I, sometimes I read verses to you. Sometimes I want you to turn your pages and, and you're like, to the right, you know. Sometimes I'll tell you, well, 1 Corinthians to the right. And you're like, well, to the right of what? How, where am I supposed to go? And I'm not sure where 1 Corinthians, how do you spell that? Does it start with a C or a K? Or, I know you get all flustered. Don't be flustered. Don't get to the point where you don't want to use your Bible anymore. Or I wish I just put that up on the screen. We're not going to put it up on the screen. Find a Bible and open it. If you don't have a Bible, take your neighbors. Find it for them. You guys need to use your Bibles. I don't ever want this church to be a place where you're trained not to use your Bibles. Your Bibles are life. They're freedom in the word. Can you put the scripture? I'm just kidding. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 9, look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. For a great and effective door is open to me. Isn't that great? Let's just stop right there. Yes, Lord, open doors. Just like you said to the church in Philadelphia. Open doors that no man can close. We are so into open doors. We want the open doors of the Lord. Open those doors, Lord. Open, give me four, five, ten open doors. Okay. A great and effective door is open to me. And there are, let's read that together. Many Let's read that again. Many out of your own lips, open doors mean there are going to be many adversaries, many. So that if one open door means there's many adversaries, guess what two open doors mean? Many, many adversaries. And you can keep going on because there's a battle for your life. There's a battle for your fruitfulness. There's a battle going on that, oh yes, open the, just open the doors for me wide, Lord. If you open a door, I'll go through it. I'll give you all of my life. I want to go through open doors. Well, just understand that there's going to be much battle going on. Remember when the children of Israel were going into the promised land? Joshua was a military leader and he led them in military campaigns because the promised land didn't come without a fight. There was always a battle at every city, another battle, another battle, another battle. And they were victorious as long as they kept their eyes on the Lord. The moment they took things into their own hands, the moment they became very haughty about things, is the moment that they were destroyed. Many adversaries. Christians have become a target for the devil because of submitting to Jesus Christ. And so back in Romans, we understand the battle we're in. We understand that it's not easy. And let me just say before we jump into chapter 7 that what I have noticed among Christians and maybe among yourselves, you might be able to relate to this, but that when the battle when the battle starts getting really heavy and difficult, some of you just quit. You're done. I don't want to live for Jesus anymore. I'm going to close that door because I don't want any adversaries. I want everything handed to me on a platter. I want everything easy. I don't want any work. I don't want to have to feel any pain. I don't want to have to have any sorrow. And some of you quit. But you know, some of you, some of you revert back to the law. And you didn't even know you were doing it. You go back to a legalistic relationship with God, a, a way of relating to him by lists and rules and regulations and policies and procedures. 
Okay, so you haven't quit. But in order to get some comfort and equilibrium in your relationship with the Lord, you've brought back these lists. And now you're going to relate to God through lists. And your attitude is, well, I'll just keep all the little commandments. I'll keep all these little things. And then I'll be a good Christian, a good Christian boy, a good Christian girl. When all the while you're missing out on the fruitfulness that is yours and mine in Jesus. You see, you go back to these lists of rules and regulations. You'll start marking them off. You'll start looking at them. And not only will you then you find that you're keeping the list and you feel comfortable, but then you become very critical of people who don't do everything the right way, the way you want them done. Legalism creeps into our lives more than you really realize. I mean, here's what it looks like, okay? You ready? January 1st, I love Jesus. I want to make a commitment to Jesus. I want to do great. I am going to wake up every morning, every morning, five o'clock, 15 minutes of devotions You every day, Monday through Friday, every, I'll throw in Saturday and Sunday too. I'm going to even put it right here on a little spreadsheet. Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'm going to, five o'clock, 15 minutes of devotions. Got my own little devotional here. I got my Bible, got my markers, got my pen and pad. I'm ready to go. 15 minutes of devotions. And then on top of that, I'm going to do 15 minutes. Oh, no, no, let's say 17 minutes of prayer. I'm going to do a little more prayer than devotions. And then, I, then after the seven, then I'm going to do 18 minutes of Bible study right here on my computer. Click, Pastor Ed. Oh, no, click someone else. No, you know, I'm going to do Bible study. I'm going to do prayer. And you woke up first of January and it was sweet, wasn't it? It was great. I did my 15 minutes. I did my 17 minutes. I did my 18 minutes. And then I was off to work. It was great. Check mark, did my 15 minutes. Check mark, did my 17 minutes. Check mark, did my 18 minutes. You woke up the next day, guess what? You did the same thing. I mean, this is cool. Two days of check marks. And you did it. You did it all the way through January. And it feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. As a matter of fact, now some of your conversations aren't just about general things of the Lord. Now you're asking, how's your devotional life? And you're measuring everybody's devotion. Some guy says, well, I do five minutes. And inside you're like, 15 for me, man. Now you never say that, or would you? 15 minutes for me. And then you meet another 15-minuter. Their challenge is I'm doing 16. Because the next time I meet him and he says 15, I'll do it 16. I know I'll throw my schedule off, but got to have my check marks. Oh, but the second week of February, it wasn't even your fault. I mean, the power went out. Some car hit a pole, knocked the power out. And it wasn't your fault at all. You, by the time you woke up and you saw the power, it was like, oh no, I'm going to be late for work. Oh, but my devotion's late for work. Devotion's late for work. I, I got to get to work. I, I can't be late again. At 15 minutes it takes you to get to work, but that day you got there in five. Boom. I'm not going to ask you how you got there in five, but you did. No devotions, no prayer, no Bible reading, but you got to work on time. No check marks. You wake up the next morning, right back to devotions, right back to prayer, right back to Bible reading, and things are going good again. Accept those boxes. They don't have check marks in them. And they haunt you. You look at them, you go, I can't even look at anyone and say that I've done what I've said I'm going to do because I failed. It wasn't my fault, though. It wasn't my fault. I mean, it wasn't my fault. How can I control the power? It wasn't my fault. And, and every time you go, oh, this is feel good in devotions, but I missed that day. I missed that day because those check marks aren't there. And it's continually condemning you, continually beating you down, continually reminding you that you failed. And it doesn't feel good, does it? to be reminded week after week that you've made a list and you've checked it twice. 
and you've checked off, but then you didn't check off, but then you did check off. And it becomes very critical of you and very condemning of you. And then it turns you into a very critical person and a very condemning person. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A Love Letter Life by Jeremy and Audrey Broloff. In it, they share insights from their own journey toward marriage and encourage the reader to stop settling for convenient relationships. They offer perspective on male and female differences in dating and take on topics like purity, give some rules for fighting well, as well as some advice on how to pursue a love story that won't end. That's A Love Letter Life. Yours today for a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE and we'll rush a copy your way. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us to make that possible. Call 877-30-GRACE. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 